SaaS people to the SaaS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution, courtesy of SaaScribe Media. I'm your host, Alex Zuma, and uh, we're joined today by uh, a really, uh, really, really special guest, uh, Jason Lenkin. Uh, Jason, welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's a, it's a pleasure. We're, uh, we're huge fans of yours uh, over here at uh, SaaScribe and uh, in the UK. Um, so I think, well, uh, I, I would I would say the discerning SaaS community uh, probably you know doesn't need your bio. Um, although I will say, you know, uh, maybe for those stumbling across uh, Sascribe and the podcast, that uh, Jason is managing director of Storm Ventures, an early stage investor uh, in enterprise SaaS companies, uh, and also, uh, oh, I, I guess, uh, you know, founder of the uh, the world famous uh, Sasta blog. Um, so um, yeah, I'm I say very excited to have you on uh, uh, today, and uh, I guess into the uh, into the first question, Jason. So sure. I say um, you know, well for us, you know, your uh, fountain of knowledge on on SaaS and write prolifically about it on on your famous blog, Sasta, uh, also on Cora. Um, uh, and is this knowledge wholly attributed from your experience you gained in founding and exiting EchoSign? Well, you know, it was it was in the beginning. Um, my learning, you know, I sold uh, EchoSign almost four years ago this week, uh, mm -hmm. and it was uh, it was a much more challenging experience than when I sold my first startup. And the Zen learning, the Zen learning was that we sold just when it got good, right? This was four years ago. We sold at a million dollars a month in in MRR or twelve million in ARR. Mm -hmm. And that's a good inflection point, at least it was in the day in terms of valuations and economics. But it's the world's worst time to sell your SaaS company, it turns out, um, because it's just when it all really comes together. <laughs> so somewhat cathartically, I originally, you know, four years, basically four years ago, started sharing all my learnings, all the things I screwed up, all the mistakes I made. But I'd say, you know, since then, I've invested or worked very, you know, in over 20 SaaS companies. I probably work informally with over 100. And I would say the learnings are informed by, you know, 100 of the best SaaS companies out there at yeah. this point. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I guess, you, you, you know, you've got, uh, uh, as, as you say, just such great exposure to everything that's happening in SaaS now, plus your own yes. experiences. So uh, I, I, there's probably no one better place to, uh, to, to write about it and, uh, uh, and, and then learn from. Um, so that, that, that's fantastic, and we, you know, love it that that you're sharing all this uh, wealth of knowledge uh, as well. Um, and so you mentioned, uh, or, or I mentioned, EchoSign here. So the, the founding story of EchoSign, from initial idea to first customer. Uh, I mean, I guess it could be a big question, but in a in a sort of shorter sort of answer, you, you, you know, can you give us some insight into that when you when you thought about it to, uh, uh, you know, what the next steps were to having your first customer? Boy, it was it was so long ago in internet time, right? That's ten years ago. So let me let me let me not share the parts that are less relevant today, because the biggest difference between SaaS today and ten years ago is the markets are literally a hundred times bigger. In some cases, bigger than that. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that'll be the case for some SaaS entrepreneurs today too, right? They'll be penetrating new markets that are tiny. Um, but back then, it was so long ago. But but the things that are relevant are are sort of twofold. One is is obviously looking to see the future, what would happen in SaaS. EchoSign, it was a long time ago, but in the day, it was the first 100% web-based solution in its space. Mm -hmm. uh, the, our, our competitors were based on Windows plugins, as crazy as that sounds today. And it was a vision that everything in business would get webified and that contracting was sort of a core part of that. So, 
So that was the right vision, um, I guess. And and and, and the, the the Uber lesson from the first year was stick with it. We had a lot of internal drama. It was tough. Um, we had crazy expectations back in two thousand and five. Our plan had us hitting over two million air our first year. Okay, okay. from launch, from launch. <laughs> now you can sometimes do that today, but man, in 05, it was tough. And the fact that we didn't quite hit two million the first year created lots of drama. But man, we did great. We had huge enterprise customers like Dell and CBS and BT and GE, and we had mid market and small, and we actually did far better than we thought we did. Um, and the, the Zen learning is just keep at it. Listen to your customers, and here's the key: like, just keep at it. And for every one customer you get, you can get another ten, just like it. Right? The first time you get a Dell, do you really think Dell is the only customer in the entire world that will buy your product? No. It turns out they're not that different than nine other companies. Mm. So, or the way I boil it down to it is: if it's tough in the beginning, break it up into two X chunks. And what I would, when it was really tough in the beginning, what I would tell the team and 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 the others is. Man, if we were just doing twice as well, <laughs> we'd be killing it. And everyone was like, ah, oh, but we're not doing twice as well. I'm like, hold on. It's recurring revenue. <laughs> it can be done. I know yeah. you're disappointed that we only closed 10 customers this month, but what if it were 20? And when you did the math on, on the spreadsheet, if we had 20, we'd be building a unicorn. And yeah. all I really needed to do was actually recruit an even better management team. And then, of course, we could have done twice as good, right? And that's all I do as an investor now, help you do twice as well. That's all I try to do. Awesome, awesome. So, I mean, do, do, you, do you sometimes wish that you hadn't sold EchoSign to Adobe and that, you know, every you, day you, you're still CEO and competing with DocuSign and you're still, you know, becoming or were a unicorn, you know? Every day. Um, but the truth is, I'm not sure I'd give back the money. Okay. Um, that's between us founders and the 7,000 people, 700,000 listening to this. But I do every single day. And, and, you know, when I sold my first company for $50 million after 12 months, it was an amazing journey. But really, it was so hard to get to the next level, right? We were going to need infinite capital. It was 2004. There were no VCs around anymore. It was the right decision, right? And so the real advice I just give to people, I don't, I, I don't regret it, but I lament it every single day because it's just when it gets good. So uh, these days, when it gets good, just take a pause, right? Bring it, And my big advice is bring in help. When it gets hard, but you have something, bring in a COO, a great VP of sales, a great someone to help you, a new investor or something, a mentor, an advisor. Because once you get to that initial scale, like it's just, it just gets, it, it, the, the sales never gets any easier per se. The dials, the gauges in Salesforce go back to zero the next, the first day of each month, right? You got to sell even more than last month. That's the hard part of SaaS. But once you have a brand, once you have that second order revenue, the referrals coming in, the word of mouth. I mean, it took us, you know, almost two years to close Google. And then it took like six months to close Facebook after that. But then it took like 30 days to get Twitter, right? It just gets easier. So that's the part that I lament is sort of selling once it got easy, right? And I put easy in quotes because it was hard work. But I didn't see how once you have something, it just builds on top of itself and SaaS. That I didn't have the personal experience to see. Mm. Okay. Okay. And you, you mentioned, uh, well, I guess there's a couple of things from that answer that I'd like to touch on. One being uh, sort of mentorship and bringing in, you know, an experienced person when you're scaling, but also yes. 
Uh, also, uh, your first startup, Nanogram Devices, which, uh, yes. as you say, you exited after, just after like 12 months of being in business. Now, yes. I, 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 with my, I don't know, naivety or lack of knowledge, would see an exit after 12 months and for $50 million as a success. Uh, but if, yes. I, if, if I look at, um, let's say, uh, Recode, uh, you know, the, uh, the publication Recode, uh, recently they exited uh, early after 18 months uh, acquired by Vox and some commentators be saying that, you know, that's a failure, you know, exiting after 18 months. Is it, is it, you know, having an early exit sort of black and white, either a success or a failure, or is it, you know, a different in each, in each case, would you say? Well, it really depends on the economics, right? I'm assuming with Recode um, that no one made any money, right? Yeah. It was an all-stock deal into another private company mm -hmm. for a relatively small amount of equity in a private company. So they may end up becoming bajillionaires, but yeah. I, I don't think they made any money, right? I think mm -hmm. the key to an early, if you're going to do an early exit, you know, here's my rule of thumb for an early exit. You want, the ideal one is 10x the amount of capital invested. Okay, mm -hmm. so if you sell for fifty million and you raise five million or less, everyone's going to do really well. Five yeah. <laughs> yeah. X is sort of okay if you sell for five X or less the capital being raised. Then you have other ones. There was a lot of drama in the SaaS world of Get Satisfaction, who the founder was mad. Get Satisfaction sold for like I don't know what it was, forty million after raising like fifty million, <laughs> less than one X. If you sell for less than you raise, it's never a happy story, right? Sure, sure. Um, so early exit, 10x capital rate. Here's my rough math. If you're ever offered 10x the amount of capital that's been invested in your company, think about it. Like think very rational about it. Don't, don't, I mean, by all means say no, right? But think about it. But 10x is the moment where you should take a pause, think about what you want to accomplish. Think about if you have another one in you or you don't. Um, because 10x the capital investment is a pretty good exit. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely, absolutely. So, and in, in the, um, uh, I guess the kind of the second part that I, I wanted to touch on is, uh, I guess, around mentorship and, uh, as you say, you know, bringing someone in, in that has experience. Let's say, like Parker Conrad did, bringing in David Sachs, right? Yes. Uh, and uh, I guess you, you, you know, Parker's going to uh, get a great amount of help from David and has been. Uh, and David is potentially acting as a as a mentor, uh, uh, as well as CEO. Uh, would, would you say that would be, you know, roughly uh, accurate? So? I don't know. For I mean, I, I know Parker reasonably well, and I, mm. I, I I've known David a little bit for years. Mm. Um, I think David is. Uh, I mean, he's an A quadruple plus. Um, I, he's definitely owns a huge amount of that company from product and across the board. Hmm. Uh, mentor, I don't know. What okay. I do know, I mean, Parker's, Parker is less experienced than David in the grand scheme of things, but mm -hmm. Parker has been around. It's his second startup. So mm -hmm. what I really mean is sometimes we want a mentor, um, but I actually think the mentor is better off external to the company. An internal mentor is can be actually a very annoying situation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't really enjoy it as CEO when someone comes to their cube or their desk or their office and tells them how to run the company. They tend to hate that. Your mentor should be external. What David is doing is bringing in that extra help, right? Zenefits just blew up. I mean, mm -hmm. Parker recruited David. So let's assume they did 1 to 20 last year. I was actually doing this Salesforce live show with Parker when he when he whispered in my ear that he just recruited David. So let's assume that they were doing like 12 million in run rate, right? What David enabled 
the company to do is scale far faster, right? Yeah. That's the key. That's what you want to do with that 10 or 12 million run rate or 5 million or wherever is get that one superstar veteran into the company in whatever role, right? COO, president, even COO sometimes, VP of whatever, that super experienced veteran that can just take you to the next level. That's what we want. But I think it's more a wingman or a colleague, yeah. not the mentor should not be internal. <laughs> yeah. No, okay, absolutely. Right. That, that makes sense. And, uh, yeah. But when, when you were at... Um, and uh, for example, a company I invested in that's seen similar to a company called TalkDesk. So I invested a year ago in TalkDesk. It was doing a million in ARR. Uh, 12 months later, it'll exceed 10 million. So that's not quite... Zenefit's growth, but for something that actually people pay for, it's pretty epic, right? And a good friend of mine, Gadi Shamia, joined as COO to help the COO own more, right? And what did Gadi do? Well, in his first 60 days, he hired 50 people and half the management team, right? That's the kind of help that for Tiago, who's one of the most amazing CEOs I've ever met, but having that extra help is sort of incalculably helpful, right? And I wish I'd done that. I should have hired my David Sachs or Gadi Shamir or whomever at 10 million. And then I could have scaled much, much more quickly and much more successfully than doing it all myself. Hmm. So uh, is, is it correct then that you didn't have a mentor whilst that echo sign? Um, and was that because you didn't need to get, you know, early VC money because of the money you made from selling Nanogram? Uh, and, and, and if so, then would you say that not having a, a mentor, you know, maybe hampered you in any way? I definitely could have used, I could have used someone as good or better than me helping me back when I was less experienced, mm. right? The problem I had back in the day was the, the quote mentors that I would meet in 06 and 05 were guys out of Intuit or Oracle. And that just wasn't what we're doing. Yeah, the beauty yeah. today is there's, 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 there, there are the David Saxes of the world and guys like me and others who've done it repeatedly, right? But we just didn't have that back in the day. So I should have found one anyway. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a failing of me, right? Why I was probably a very good but not a great CEO. But the good news is there's more, there are more veterans out there today. Right. Yep. So, so go find one. Get, get that help because there's 10 times, maybe 100 times more of them than there were X years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so we mentioned you're, you're a two-time founder, CEO. Um, yes. uh, is experience a prerequisite to start a SaaS company? Well, absolutely not. Um, I mean, I've done, I've done eight VC investments and 12 as an angel, so I've done 20. I think only a couple... Uh, where did they have any SaaS experience? And of the 20, 19 are doing really well. Um, so I'd say no. Um, certainly, um, the more enterprise you are, and I mean truly enterprise, mm -hmm. selling large deals, complex solutions to big companies, the more you need enterprise DNA on the team. And if you don't have it, right, like Aaron Levy at Box, he didn't have it. He founded Box when he was a freshman or sophomore at, at USC. Then get that, you need to get that DNA onto the team earlier, right? You need to force yourself. If you've done it before, you'll almost automatically, you'll be like Workday, right? You'll just recruit an enterprise team. So if you haven't done it before, you've got to do one of two things. You've either got to come up from the bottom, right? Start at the low end, SMB type, like TalkDesk did, for example. Um, or you've got to go aggressively seek out that expertise on your management team early, one of the two. Okay. Okay. And we so we mentioned your um, awesome blog uh, on SaaS, Sasta. Um, yes. And can can you tell us a little bit about why you uh, why you started it? For sure. Well, you know, it started after 
EchoSign was acquired by Adobe and they made me a corporate vice president, there was a, a very restrictive social media policy. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, in order to tweet or to blog or anything, it had to go through corporate PR, which was like a 30-day turnaround. So I decided like a 30-day turnaround on a tweet wasn't going to work. <laughs> and so I did two things. One, I wrote 100 blog posts about the mistakes and learnings I'd made, but I couldn't publish them. Um, and then it turned out this social media policy didn't talk about Quora. So I just started answering questions on Quora, right? So how do you, how do you sell a, a low-end product? What, how do you hire a VP of marketing so you get leads, not blue pens with your logo on it? And I just started answering questions on Quora because it was allowed. Um, so I built up, I answered sort of a bunch of questions on Quora and a few people read it. And, but it was sort of folks like me that were founders trying to learn. And then when I left Adobe, the first blog post on Saster was the day after I left Adobe. Um, so that's, that's kind of the story. So it just started off as, a, as one founder who had nothing left to hide. I didn't have to pretend anymore. Mm -hmm. Pretending is always, you know, we all kind of have to fake it until we make it. But for better or for worse, I'd sold. So I might as well just share back all the stuff that I learned so that everyone else could do even better. So it was a cathartic journey. And in fact, it's horrible. Like, it's the worst title ever, but the working title for Saster was Catharsis. <laughs> okay, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> pretty bad, but you get the, you get the idea, right? Yeah, yeah. And what is, I, I'm, I'm sure uh, I've sort of, you know, read before, but, you know, many people have asked you, you know, what does Saster stand for? You know, why they are, uh, or the TR, sorry, after I'm, I'm, after no, I'm no longer going to answer that question. I have to okay. some mystery, miss some mystery in the relationship. I, 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 okay, well, I think, I think I read or heard somewhere that uh, you're saying like SAS, well, you, it's um, the hipster sort of version of SAS or something like that, the coming together of those two words. But It could be, it but could now be. it's going to be like the Pez story where we'll just re, we'll re redo it and change the story for, for the founding story as it suits the modern day. Okay, fair enough. Good, good. Okay, and, uh, and obviously linking into SASTA, um, SASTA annual is coming up in February. Um, and, you know, what can we expect from that? Who should attend uh, and why? Uh, everyone should go that has something. Um, so what it will be... So we did this, we did the SAS, the first Saster annual just this February, we had almost 2,000 folks show up and it was totally ad hoc, mm -hmm. right? It was sort of unplanned, unscripted, and we really had some of the most amazing content I've ever seen because it was just the stuff I wanted to know, right? Talking with, uh, you know, whether it's David Sachs, like we chatted about, or Aaron Levy or Stuart Butterfield, not about the fluff, but actually how you scale these businesses. So basically, we're going to do that again but about three times the size, and it'll be three full days in San Francisco. And um, as big as it was last year, we've already sold more, almost three times the tickets as, uh, as of last year. So it will be the largest non-vendor SaaS event, um, hopefully on the planet. <laughs> um, and the real idea, and I would especially, my learning was, I thought it would just be this year people like from the Bay Area would, would Uber in, mm -hmm. but almost half the people flew in from all across the world, and because the further you are from the Bay Area, in some ways, the less, the less, the less interactions and the less, the less things you know. So the real goal for this year is for folks to spend a week. So come out for the whole week and take your other meetings, meet your other partners, do the other stuff you're going to do in tech in the Bay Area. And then come to as much of the three days as you can take in and tolerate. <laughs> um, but it should be great. It should be. It's designed to be totally fun, totally founder centric. Not you know the, the largest non vendor event in the world. Um, but it's not really designed for folks that have nothing, right? It's not for folks with no customers. That's something else. This isn't 
This isn't Lean Startup or 500 Startups, all these things which are great. This is for folks that have 10 customers, 100 customers, 1,000, right, to, to learn how to get to the next level. Okay, very good. And, and, and uh, you, you mentioned some of the, uh, uh, some of the people that uh, were, were speakers at this year's Sasta, like David Sachs yes. and Stuart Butterfield. Yeah. Uh, what about next year? Is it a comp uh, completely new lineup of uh, you, you know, uh, rock stars in, uh, in, in the SaaS industry? Anyone it'll, it'll be mostly new. I mean, we'll have folks that I think are amazing, like we'll hear from Lucerne on the real story of New Relic. Right, and how you sell, how you scale revenues to hundreds of millions in just a few years, selling to engineering and developers. Well, he'll hear from Phil Fernandez at Marketo, right? How you work in the most competitive part of SaaS, right, which is marketing automation, right? And Marketo is the largest and most successful player, so that will be fun. Um, we'll hear from lots more up and comers and others. We'll hear, we'll do a recheck in with Zenefits because that one was so popular last year. So we'll hear some of the speakers again. Parker will come back. Um, and we'll we'll chat about what going from twenty to hundred million in twelve months was like versus one to twenty the last time. <laughs> so we won't do we're not going to do anything over again. But some of the speakers that were that we'll check in with again and see how we're doing twelve months later because operationally that's very interesting in SaaS, right? We thought it was going to go this way. How did it really go? What were the mistakes we made last year? So expect to see about eighty percent new speakers on things that we chatted about, right? Like New Relic and Marketo, and about twenty percent will be sort of uh, interesting updates from folks from last year. Okay, very cool, very cool. And uh, which SaaS companies that you are not invested in uh, most excite you and, uh, and why? Wow. Um, I, uh, I, I can't really, I can't pick too many favorites, um, but, uh, but I would say if you count it as SaaS, I'm really interested to see the future of GitHub. Okay. Right. See how GitHub, how the paid portion goes. It's just fascinating to see something go from uh, an, an ad hoc tool to something that's more enterprise, and to see all the changes gone through. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick, I'm gonna pick GitHub for today as the story that I'm most interested in learning more about. Okay. Very good. So, and just a couple more questions. Um, sure. For you, Jason. So uh, one is um, uh, from one of our. Uh, writers at uh, Sascribe, Mark Power. So he uh, has asked me to ask you, is Slack's pricing model ultimately destructive for the SaaS industry and the companies who will follow? Uh, I'm not, I have to hypothesize what he means. But yeah, I, I, th I, think, I, th I think what, he, what he's getting at is, is that Slack has this model where, you know, if you're not uh, using it, then you don't have yeah, to pay. Yeah, yeah, no, get, I know. You get I know. Credit I know. Okay. Listen, I'm, I'm I'm using Slack right now. Yeah. I've, been, I've been I'm a relatively early Slack user. I'm a fan. Stuart Butterfield spoke at the last Esther annual. He was an A plus with David Sachs. I mean, that was just epic, right? Seeing them together, Yammer and Slack. But let's be clear, Slack is. I love Slack, but Slack isn't what it appears to be. Slack is not enterprise software. Slack is not primarily used in the marketing department or whatever of Fortune 500 companies. Yammer was enterprising, and we could chat about Yammer. Slack, and I asked Stuart this in February, Slack, at least until now, is primarily used by folks building software, right? The magic of Slack is its integration with GitHub and CircleCI and Rainforest and 20 other tools. The magic isn't the fact that it's the 11th uh, chat tool, right? It's this epic way to kind of build software and build products together as a team. And that may change over time. But that's Slack's secret sauce. Slack, to me, is a verticalized, vertical play. Verticalization in SaaS is very interesting. Um, 
And because everything's 100 times bigger than it was just a few years ago, Slack can be 10 or 20 times bigger than HipChat, right? Maybe 40 times bigger than HipChat. That's really what we're seeing. And so if you're using a tool for your product and developer team that you want the rest of the company to use and you want it to be low friction, of course you want it to automatically um, deprovision seats no one's using because otherwise it creates friction in the sales process. It's not as revolutionary as it sounds. And if the day comes in 2017 when Slack is primarily selling to functional businesses, <laughs> large companies, <laughs> I don't know that we're going to see auto deprovision seats anymore because it doesn't work for Salesforce. <laughs> right. Yeah, understood. understood. So, so a lot of these stories are a little bit apocryphal. Um, and that's why if you go back and watch the video at the Sastra Annual of David Sachs and Stuart Butterfield, one of the first questions I asked for David, because the whole Yammer business model is apocryphal. I asked David, when did you start seriously selling this product? I think he said in eight months. <laughs> Yammer, as he said, if you watch the video, Yammer as a freemium product was great for marketed awareness and top of the funnel, but they had to sell to CIOs and high up in their organization to close real deals. That's an apocryphal business model. And Slack is an apocryphal business model. So let's be careful when we read uh, random blog posts and tweets about how companies really scale. Most of the time, it's not true. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, uh, uh, you know, really, really good insights uh, into that. And I guess now, um, you know, final question uh, yes. is really to you. So I, I read on uh, the Reddit uh, AMA that, uh, that you did some time ago that you have no, yeah. no known or unknown hobbies. Um, yes. and, and just talking about SaaS, really, and spending time with your family. Now, have you got no uh, hobbies because you're too busy uh, to have a hobby, or you just love SaaS too much that, that SaaS is ultimately your hobby? I don't know. Most of the great founders I know, and I consider myself only very good for the reasons we discussed, mm -hmm. a lot of them, their hobby is their, is, is their, is their job, is their startup. Mm. Um, and I had plenty of hobbies when I was a startup executive, <laughs> but when, you know, the, the crap hit the fan, you drop everything to make this thing a success. Um, and your team becomes your family and your hobbies are often things that you do with your team and with your company. You need your private life, of course. Um, but I, I really don't know many SaaS founders that golf. <laughs> it just doesn't, it just doesn't work once you have something. So for me, the hobby is is kind of trying to rinse, wash, repeat this model and having fun and sharing these learnings, and that that's what I enjoy. I, I don't need to, 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 to take up droning or or uh, or other these other things. It okay. just it just bores it just bores me. Yeah. Right. I just want to get better and better and better at my art and my craft. Well, that's uh, I mean I mean that that's awesome, and uh, I guess the you know the better that you get, you know, if that's possible, that you can get better. Uh, then obviously the more that uh, that everybody uh, within the SaaS community is going to learn. So uh, we, yes. we, we kind of hope that you don't start take up droning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Jason, I think you know that's it. We've uh, run out of time, but you've been uh, you know fantastic uh, uh, guest, lived up to our uh, my e expectations. Uh, and um, yeah, you, you know, also I want to say congrats on the uh, the core of ten million views. Thank um, you very much. And uh, yeah, you know, um, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Well, congrats back to you for building up a great, a great set of content uh, and great newsletter. It's really terrific, and I'm glad you're doing it. Yeah, cheers, Jason. Thank you very much. All right. Okay. Talk to you Thank soon. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.